Well, welcome to week one of a series uh, we're calling Overwhelmed. We're going to read a passage of scripture, so I want to invite you, if you will, to stand. And uh, I will read this from the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in ancient Philippi. And the words will be on the screen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Well, it's a familiar story, and I don't really have to tell it to you, uh, but the details are uh, actually important. On April the 14th, 2,026 people who are on, in their estimation, the trip of a lifetime, were immediately overwhelmed. Uh, they were on a ship, and that, all that day, they had been getting messages uh, as they traveled the North Atlantic Sea. Uh, they'd been getting messages to the bridge of the ship saying there are icebergs and you need to look out. Now, you need to know, if you know the story I'm telling, that the people who built this vessel and the captain and the crew pretty much thought that their vessel was unsinkable. Never seen technology like that. Uh, They thought it was basically indestructible, and so they really didn't pay much attention to those warnings that came. Until 1140, one of the lookouts saw an iceberg ahead and said, iceberg ahead, sent the message to the bridge. The captain made an adjustment, but it was a little bit too late. Uh, They missed the bulk of the iceberg that you could see, but what they didn't miss was underneath the waterline. The iceberg ripped a hole uh, in the hull of the ship and flooded six of the compartments. Now, what they thought made the ship unsinkable was the fact that four compartments could be flooded and it would still float. But they weren't anticipating that six would ever be flooded. And the water came in. People tried to get off of the boat, but they only had enough lifeboats for about half of the passengers. People went into the cold water and didn't survive of the North Atlantic Sea. And at about 2 in the morning on April the 15th, the Titanic broke in half and sank into the deep, cold waters of the North Atlantic Sea. Uh, now, you've got to understand something about icebergs to understand what was going on with that. I have this, uh, this brilliant model of an iceberg um, right here. And, and so this is an iceberg, right? You can see this. It's, this is not to scale, just so you know, for those of you watching at home. But what happens with an iceberg is that you can see the water line here. What you see of an iceberg is about 10% of any iceberg. There, I read about an iceberg that was uh, something like the size of Delaware, which mean, meant what you could see was, could not see was many, many times more than that. And the danger from an iceberg is not what you can see, it's what you can't see that will get you. Every single time. Now, uh, this is a metaphor for what we're talking about in this series. You're sailing along in your life. You think that you are indestructible, and then you are struck by something beneath the waterline. The water pours in. We are overwhelmed, and we are sure that we are going to sink. 
Now, here's the million-dollar question when it comes to the things we're going to talk about in this series, like anxiety and your past and fear and hurt. Can we know what's below the waterline before it's too late? And maybe a more important question is, can we do anything about it? Uh, and then I think maybe in th- on this subject, there's maybe uh, no place where it's more important that you uh, become like Jesus. I'll, I'll tell you why. In, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a boat, and a storm came up. The Sea of Galilee is basically an inland sea, kind of like uh, Lake Michigan. And if you know how, or you've heard reports of this, on a, a lake like Lake Michigan or the Sea of Galilee, the, the storm is actually more dangerous because the trough of the wave is much smaller and it can break a boat apart much easier. And so the disciples are in a fishing vessel with Jesus and they are bailing water and they are terrified and they look around and they're like, hey, wh- where is Jesus? Give Jesus a bucket. He needs to be bailing some water. What, what is going on? They're absolutely terrified. They look over and to their shock and to their horror, Jesus is asleep in the storm. Now, this is why you want to be Christ-like. It's a storm blowing all around. And Jesus is undisturbable. What in the world made Jesus so undisturbable? Jesus knew that there was the storm and that there was the other side of the storm. And somehow, Jesus was able to take what was on the other side of the storm and bring it into the present moment, and have peace. Now, if that's what it means to be Christ-like, how many of you would like to be more Christ-like, right? (laughs) This is a series for you, and it is better on the other side. And we're going to talk about how to get there. So tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, it's better on the other side. Just let them know. Let them know. Well, let's set some expectations so we can know what to expect and what not to expect as we work our way through this. And, and let, me, let me give you a, 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 an expectation. You may have walked in. Let me, let me dash your hopes a little bit. You cannot be healed by having someone talk to you. You could podcast 50 sermons on anxiety. You could watch 25 TED Talks on the nature of anxiety and the, the neurobiology and the, the, uh, the neurotransmitters and the chemicals, and you could in- educate yourself on what causes things like anxiety. You could watch four PBS specials on that and know, see interviews with people talking about their anxiety, and you would learn some things, but you would not be healed by those things. And so if you came looking, you're like, oh, yeah, today, this is great. I'm going to come, and I'm going to get rid of my negative emotions, and I am going to be healed. Hallelujah! It ain't going to happen, okay? Bad news, bad news. But let me set our expectations for what can happen. You, you won't get better by not talking about it. What happens for many of us is our, our problems stay in silence, and we don't talk about them. And so they never get healed. There's a saying in therapy that goes like this, that you're as sick as your secrets. In other words, you take some things, you bottle them up, you put them inside, you don't talk about them, you don't bring them out into the light, and from that, that darkness, the sickness emanates. Um, I Last week or so, uh, I, I, um, I had a, this little 
drawer table thing that my mother-in-law had found at a, a Goodwill that my daughter was using in her room for a shelf. And she's, she's really organized. She's eight, and she has everything perfectly organized, and she has a place for absolutely everything. You walk into her room, it's like, and here's where I put my ponies. And, and she's like that. She's super organized. And, and so I, I saw this. I'm like, I think I can make that better. And so I, I got out uh, some wood, and I had a bunch of scrap wood. Any other guys scrap wood? Like, love the scrap wood pile? Had the, got out a scrap wood pile. I can make something beautiful out of this, and so I did. And uh, in doing that, I used the table saw to cut this really thin veneer to make these strips and make this decorative thing on the side and make it look, look better. And, and um, I had taken off the table saw guard. If you know how a table saw works, there's this guard that's supposed to keep kickback from happening. What kickback is happening is you're pushing the wood through this side and the blade's spinning so fast that the other piece, if you're not careful, will get shot at high velocity <laughs> and speed out the back of the table saw. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I got this, and I'm cutting these thin strips over and over again, just taking this piece and cutting it down. And so I had my hands way away from the blade because I, I, I don't want to lose any digits. And so I'm, I'm cutting it, and this thin piece, because it was so light, raised up, got lifted up by the blade and spit over the blade and into my hand. And it immediately started to bleed, but it was one of those, like, you knew it hit way deep and it was bleeding from way inside. I, I went and I took a picture of it on Facebook and I was like, hey, I cut my hand. I'm so smart. Um, and and uh, so one person who's a, Sarah, who's a, a nurse, part of our church, she said, here's what you do. You put some neosporin on it and you expose it to light and to air and you only cover it up when you're going to be in places where there's dirt. And that's how you'll heal it. And the reason she said that is because if you, if you cover up a wound, what happens is that it festers. Do you know what fester means? It gets all nasty. It gets all nasty. And some of us, our, our problems have done got all nasty on us because we are silent about them and we don't talk about them. One of my really uh, good friends that I really admire, he says this. He says, you cannot change or heal what you do not acknowledge. Let me say that to you again. You cannot change or heal what you do not acknowledge. In other words, if you don't talk about it, don't ever expect it to get better. So we're going to talk about how healing starts. And, and, and when we are together over these next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to bring it out into the open. But here's how I know healing works. There's at least four components to it. One is healing starts with the information that you get. We're going to do that together. It works, though, by your application of truth and tools to make your life different. You have to do the work. If you don't do the work, ain't nothing going to happen. I could give you a tool, and you could set the tool down right here on, on this table, and we could all stand back and go, look at that tool. Isn't that really nice? Yes, it is really a nice tool. Oh, I like that. It's shiny. It's a shiny tool. You know what tools are for? You pick them up and you apply them to your situation. So we're going to learn, uh, we're going to learn some tools. But then you have to be empowered by God's grace. What I mean by that is you have to know that apart from the struggle you are currently in, that you are okay. And somebody got you. <laughs> and when you know that, when you know that God's grace is on your side, then you have the power to deal with this. And then part of healing is that you're helped by someone who loves you. And they just check in on you. How are you doing? What'd you do with that? How can I help? Could I do this for you? 
And you combine those elements and you get, you get healing. Now let me, let me give you a roadmap for how this is going to work each week so you can kind of know what to expect. Um, first what we'll do is we'll describe the thing that has us overwhelmed and then you can kind of see, yeah, that's, that's me. That describes where I'm at. Uh, then we're going to talk about God's heart as revealed to us by Jesus and in Scripture because you've got to know how God thinks about this and how God sees you and what God wants for you if you're going to have anything better. And then we're going to talk about the tools that are available. And, and I'm, again, it's your work. you got to do the work if you want healing. you got to apply the tool. And I'll give you some tools that you can take each week, and you can apply them, and you can hopefully have some healing come into your life. Anybody game for that? Anybody? Just two of you? Okay, good. You and me. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about anxiety today. Uh, the people who study these things say that uh, one out of four Americans at some point in their life is going to have an episode of anxiety. That is, they're going to feel incredibly overwhelmed and not know what to do. They're going to feel overwhelmed by their emotions. They're going to feel overwhelmed by their fears. They're going to they're get in a place where they feel completely and utterly overwhelmed and lost. The ship is sinking. But that's an episode. And, and most people that have an episode like that, it's going to go, life's going to go on but there are, uh, statisticians say, one in six people who struggle with chronic anxiety. That's 40 million people. That's more people than struggle with depression. That's more people than struggle with uh, or have diabetes. And, and here's why you need to care, because maybe you feel like you're not one of the six. Like, I fall in the five of the six. So maybe you go, well, that's me. I don't know why I need to care about this. Do you know who Kevin Bacon is? The, the actor? Kevin Bacon? Uh, there was a, 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 a really dumb game. I don't know when this started, but they call it Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and it's like you can find someone who was, in, if you take any actor or actress, you can go six degrees of connection, and eventually that person was in a movie with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and, and it's really, it's a sociological phenomenon that we really are about six layers of relationship away from almost anybody on planet Earth. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was part of a leadership uh, coaching network a, couple, uh, a year or so ago, and the guy who led that is a pastor named Larry. He pastors on one of the coasts, and Larry is friends with Bobby. Bobby is the guy who started and founded the YouVersion Bible app that is the most downloaded Bible app on the planet. I think there's three or 400 million people who've downloaded it now. And Bobby uh, is now friends because he went and took a YouVersion app to the Pope. So if you need a hookup with the Pope, I got you covered because I'm only four steps away from the Pope. Right? That's how that works. That's how that works. You're connected. So here's, here's my point. You say, I don't struggle with anxiety. Now, if you struggle with anxiety, you're like, oh, please, please help me. But if you don't, you need to know. You live with, you work with, you go to school with, you live next door to someone that has chronic anxiety and they do not know what to do and you and I are called to help them and to serve them now let me tell you uh, about what an anxiety sufferer goes through tell you about some of their suffering um, I have close friends and I have family who struggle with anxiety take medication for anxiety uh, so I hear their story and uh, I, this is kind of my read on, on, and this is not a technical definition of what anxiety is, but it really, what it is, it's, it's the feeling that what's coming will destroy me in some way. 
It's just this sense of dread that something's coming and it's going to get me. And I don't know how to get beyond the thought that that thing's coming for me. And so, oh, it, it kind of feels like you're drowning and you can't stop it. I read uh, an article by a very, very accomplished author. Is a writes for a, a national magazine. Very successful person. And that he wrote about his experience with chronic anxiety. And he described... When someone said to him, you know, hey, you're this famous author and we would love for you to come speak to our group. And he says, that brings up all this anxiety in me. And he told the whole thing he has to go through to try and work himself up to the point where he can stand up in front of people without passing out or throwing up. Because he has this chronic, chronic anxiety. There's a person with chronic anxiety, they're like a duck. They've learned on the surface to look totally calm while underneath they are paddling furiously and hoping you don't notice. And so they have dread, and they have fear, and they have irrational thoughts. And if you're not a chronic anxiety uh, person, then you look at that person and you go, well, let me just explain to you what's going on. And you try to rationalize, and it's not a rational process for them at all. It would be like you trying to explain to a person who's drowning what water is like. Well, you know it's made of a hydrogen atom and two oxygen atoms, right? They don't need that. They need you to throw them the little float ringy thing, right? That's, That's what they need. They need someone that'll do that thing. Because anxiety comes from all kinds of places. Anxiety can come from the family we grew up in. The way our mom acted or didn't act. The way our dad exploded or stayed silent. Uh, Anxiety can come from the things that happened to you. uh, The things that are done to you. PTSD is kind of a a form of anxiety. It can come from your temperament or your, your physiology. It can even come from the perception that something's wrong with you. Because we stigmatize anything that's a mental illness. And even in the church, we do a terrible job of that sometimes. And we tell people that it's a real simple and you just pray more and trust God some more and it'll all be better. And it just makes, it makes the anxiety worse and it keeps it in, silent, in silence and it just gets all nasty. And we get overwhelmed. And there's, uh, there's deep, deep pain and it's deeply overwhelming for someone who struggles with anxiety. They did a study and they found that there's an inverse relationship between emotional security and the pain you feel in your stomach. So you, you know what I mean? So if, if you feel emotionally secure, it's less likely you're going to feel pain in your stomach. So if you feel very insecure, guess what you're going to feel in your stomach? So if, you, if you're around someone who has chronic anxiety, you might hear them say on a regular basis, I think I'm going to throw up. They're saying... I don't know what to do about what I feel. That's what's happening. That's what's happening for them. Well, what's God's heart uh, revealed in Jesus? Now, let's go back to that scene in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and they're terrified and they're thinking, Jesus, why are you asleep? And this is Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. He says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and, what's the word? Say it out loud. One more time, really loud, rebuke rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely, what's the last word? Calm. Calm. So you need to understand, this is not a passing scene. This is not just something that happened. This is a paradigm for what God wants to do with the storms in your life. Because anytime there's a storm in the Bible, that means there's chaos and things are not working right. So at the beginning in Genesis, when there was chaos, there was a storm. And out of the storm, God created something out of the disorder of 
of chaos. God created the world. This is, this is uh, an example of God's mission and God's heart for the storms in your life that are coming against you. And what God always does is he rebukes the wind and the waves and brings complete and total calm. Now, the word rebuke there is, is in the Greek. It's the word command, and it's the same word that Jesus would use when he would cast out a demon. He would rebuke the demon. He would command the demon, come out, leave her alone, let him go. You can't have him anymore. This is God's heart and mission to rescue you from your storms and bring you to complete calm. The word there in the Greek is mega calm. (laughs) Not like a little calm, like it's just a little bit better, but like mega calm. This is what God's God's after. So you need to understand that you can have peace and the duck doesn't have to paddle anymore. And that you can get to the other side. That God is on a mission to bring you to the peace on the other side of the storm. So if you're an anxious person, here's what I need you to know. I need you to know that it's not your fault, that God is not punishing you, that God sees you and wants to help bring a great calm to you. Not, not a little calm, mega calm. Now, we're going to talk about some tools, and, and um, start again, starts with information, right? You need to be empowered by God's grace. You need to understand God's heart toward you. But it works by application because the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and Jesus has the resources where he's on the other side of the storm and he's brought into the present moment. But they are terrified. They are not tapped into the power of God. And that could be you. The power of God's available to you, but you're not tapped tapped into it. And so you're going to have to do some work to apply these things to your life. And what Paul does in this letter to the Philippians is he gives two tools for dealing with anxiety. And I'm going to give you three ways that you can express that this week. But I, I really loved how uh, it's written in the message. The message is a translation of uh, the scripture. Uh, if you struggle with reading the New Testament or the Bible and you go, I'm not sure I understand, the message is a great place to start. And let me, let me read to you Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 from the message. This is what it says. Uh, this is the first tool pa- Paul offers. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, Pray. Let petitions and praises, listen, great phrase, shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. In other words, your anxious thoughts can be directed toward God. This is the meaning of prayer. Prayer is not a bunch of pious words that you say, and then God hears the pious words and says, ah, you said the right words. Now I will listen. That's religious babble. Prayer is taking what you're actually going through, the emotions that you're actually feeling, and saying, God, here's what I'm really feeling, and I'm bringing it to you because I don't know what to do with it. And I trust that you can do something with it when I can't. Because what happens, anxiety flourishes when you stay inside of the loop, right? You get in this feedback mental loop that you can't get out of, and you think it's up to you to get out of it. And what Paul is saying is that God is the anxious person's best friend and partner, and that you can, in effect, upload your worries and download God's peace. Some of you might know uh, Frank and Courtney Brown. I asked their permission to tell this story, but this uh, a few days ago, their middle daughter, Lily, um, had a case of croup, and it was their first experience with croup. And if you're a parent, your, your kid wakes up and it sounds like they can't breathe and they're going to die. And, and they ran to the emergency room thinking, not, we're not sure what's going wrong. And Lily 
their daughter, um, who's second, third grade-ish, uh, she, she said on the way there, she said, am I going to die? I mean, she wasn't going to die, but you know. And they stopped and they prayed. They followed Jesus, and so they stopped and they prayed. And when they got back home and Lily was fine, she said, you know what, when we prayed, that's when I had hope again. That's what Paul's saying. You could upload your worries, and then you could download God's peace. But then he goes on in, in, um, in verse 8. He says, this is how the message reads. You'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things. Uh, and he gives a whole list, true, noble, reputable. See, anxiety wins by keeping you trapped in thought patterns that are based on fear. So what Paul, Paul understands, and he says, so what you need to do is an intention. If you're in a thought pattern you can't get out of, then intentionally direct your thought pattern some other place. That's great. That's good. Here, here's what he's saying. This will be some good news to you. Peace is a process. Peace is a process. Touch your neighbor and say, I don't have to, figure, I don't have, to have this figured out today. Peace is a process. Just tell them that. What Paul is not saying, he's not saying, listen, here's the three words to say and the one prayer to pray, and this all goes away. You've got to work the process of peace. It's a process. So let me give you three, uh, three ways you can apply these two tools that Paul gives to us. Here's, here's the first one. I want you to take out your phone, okay? And I want you to open up your phone, and I want you to open up your message, whatever you use for your messages, and I want you to send it. We've got a picture of it on the screen right here. Uh, I want you to send to the number 40404, that exact message in green right there. Follow a space, and then the letters RLCC Life. Now, your phone might try to auto-change the word there. Make sure you check follow RLCC Life, and you'll get a message just back like that. It'll say, you're now following RLCC Life, and what's going to happen is over the course of this next week, starting tomorrow morning, three times a day, you are going to get a text message with a scripture and a prayer. And what I'm inviting you to do to apply this to your life is to pause three times in your day and redirect your attention to God. Now, I don't know about you, but in the morning I get up and I read scripture and I pray, but I can go through my whole day sometimes and I forget everything I read and every prayer I prayed and I just got to the end of the day. I'm like, oh, I kind of forgot that you were there, Lord, I'm sorry. This is an intentional turning of yourself three times a day to reorient yourself to what God says is true. Now, you may wonder, well, where do you get the three, uh, the, the, the three times a day? Well, this is actually an, an ancient practice called the daily office, um, and it comes from uh, Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was a Jewish man who was taken along with three of his friends. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. To, from Jerusalem to Babylon, the superpower of the time. Daniel was a very wise and intelligent person, a very gifted, talented person, and he found himself in, as one of the advisors to the ruler of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and in that dream, something terrible happened. He didn't understand it, so he turned to his advisor, and he's, he said, listen, I want to know what happened in this dream. Like, we don't know, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to tell me not only w what happened in the dream, but you're going to tell me what it means, and if you can't, I'm going to kill you. I said, king, we can't. How can we possibly do that? Message came to Daniel that he was going to be killed because he was a part of that group, and he 
put pause on that, and he, he said, okay, well, I think we can do something different about this. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 18, we've got it on the, the screen. Just listen, this is, see if this is not an occasion for some anxiety. Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, and urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I mean, talk about a feeling that what's coming will destroy me in some way. I mean, right? This is an occasion for anxiety. But notice Daniel's practice. You don't find it till a few chapters later in Daniel chapter 6, but this was the secret to Daniel's strength, how he tapped into God's presence. This is Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. In other words, he had a practice of regularly pausing and turning his attention to God. And so we're inviting you for the next seven days. And if you don't text, we have a sheet of paper with these same things written on it. You can pick up on the way out. And, and this can be one way you apply the tool of prayer to your anxiety. Now, let me give you two more really simple things. Uh, and I'm asking you to help you work on your thought life this week. And this will help change your thoughts. I'm calling it the thought challenge. And, and I want you to take your phone out again, right? Okay, so I want you to open up your uh, screen here and go to wherever you have, if you have that, and I think the majority of us have that, wherever you have your social media apps, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it might be. And here's what I'm inviting you to do is to take those apps for this week, for these next seven days, and delete them from your phone. So I'm going in right now. You're watching me do it. Oh, wait, let's make, make it work. Oh, there we go. Hit the little X. Hit delete. You get some of you are like, no! <laughs> um, but what's happening is that you are getting, see, you have this feedback loop in your head. And you are allowing a stream of information that causes anxiety into you. You look at other people's lives on Instagram and everything looks perfect. And their marriage is great. And they don't have any problems. And look how beautiful their children are. And you're like, I suck. Yet, yet you, you compare yourself to them and, and you feel like you're not enough. And then you let a stream of news come in about how awful those other people are or how, what's terrible in the government, how the world's going to blow up. And you are letting a stream of anxious thoughts into your world. Now, you don't have to do this, but if you want to, delete it for a week. You can easily download it. It's free. I, I don't know if you know this, but they, there's a rise in teenage anxiety. And if you, if you, if you look, the graph goes like this, the teenage anxiety. Do you know if you, there's another graph you lay over the top of it? Do you know what that graph is that goes the same exact way? Here's, here's teenage anxiety. Do you know what the other graph you lay over the top is? Smartphone appearance in the world. More smartphones? Guess what? So what if you took a fast this week? Okay? And instead of doing that, that's the third thing, is you can go to, I know I sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, you can delete the apps, but you can just treat your phone like a dumb phone and get text messages and make phone calls. Right? So you can get the text. The, the scripture will come to you as a text, so you don't have to go out to wherever to get it. And then if you have Spotify, which is a free thing on, you can get on any phone that you have, you can download and listen to worship music for free instead. And you can go. There's a real-life worship. Um, uh, you can search for a real-life worship. We'll, we'll put all this on Facebook later today. I know that sounds you're like, wait, you said that. <laughs> Tomorrow, starting Monday. <laughs> You can get all that information. 
If you don't want to do that, you don't have to do that. But if you're, if you're stuck in thoughts that you cannot get out of, do what Paul said and change the direction of your thoughts to things that are better. How about that? And then you can find what Paul says. He says, listen, when this happens, when you do this, when you work the process of peace, then you find out that the peace of God that passes our ability to make sense or, of it or understand it will come and guard your heart and your mind. How many of you would like peace as a guard at the door of your heart and your mind, right? Instead of the anxiety, how many of you would like that? Well, it's time to work the process. It's time to work the process. It's time to do what, what God says works. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, on your way out, you can grab the, the sheet if you would like. We have this book right here. This is also the, the, the daily office in a book form. If you want to get one of these books, we have several, we ordered a few copies of these. You can pick it up at the Resource Center if you want to do that. That'll help you if you're a, a book person. Uh, but I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to invite you to do something we do every now and again. I'm going to invite you to, this is your moment. No one's looking at you. You can hold your hands down like this. No one's, this is your moment. You can close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to release to God right now your anxiety, your fear, your confusion, your frustration. Just let it go. Let it out of your hands. God, here you go. Here's what I'm actually feeling. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to pretend like it's not there. Here you go. Here it is. I'm dumping it all out. I'm letting it all go. And then if you'll turn your hands over, and receive, say, oh, God, God, I receive your peace. I receive your grace that's for me, that paid a price for me on the cross because I was worth it. I receive the fact that you love me. I receive this. And allow God to begin the process right now. It's a process. Allow God to begin the process of displacing your anxiety with peace. Oh, God, we receive what you have to offer to us. We thank you that you, you are never overwhelmed by how broken we are. You never, uh, you're never put off by what we struggle with. You want us to bring it to you. And so we bring with prayers and petitions and with thanksgiving our anxieties to you. We bring you the, the pattern of thought. We don't know how to change. We bring that to you. We bring our fear that this is all going to fall apart. We bring that to you. give all that to you and we receive from you what you have to offer to us your peace from the other side of the storm god we want that we want that so we ask for that and and help us these next seven days as we apply these tools to our lives lord we look forward to this next seven days with you we pray this in your name and all god's people who wanted every bit of god's peace said Amen. Well, we send you now to love God, to love people, serve the world, hug somebody, tell them you love them. Prayer team's down front if you need prayer.